This morning's reading is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We're in Matthew chapter 7, and we are, we're, we're closing up a section, a rather big section, in verse 12, and then we end the conclusion with several warnings. And the warnings are severe, the warnings are extreme, and they're extreme because they're real. They're real. And so we're going to have a chance to look at this, uh, really the heart-piercing nature of this sermon is our inability to live in accordance with it. The teachings are so radical and so holy that um, we, we immediately say, well, I can't live like this. And that's the right response. But it's, yeah, I can't live like this apart from Christ. <laughs> but in Christ, I can. I can. I can have in my new nature, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can live as God has called me to live. Now, if you've heard the teachings over the past several weeks and you have mistakenly heard them, As things you need to do to get into the heavens, to get into the kingdom, to enter the presence of God. If you've done that, um, then your conclusion being no one's getting in is right. Because no one can get in by trying to live according to this life apart from God's grace and power. In fact, we can go one step further. No one will be in, no man will be in heaven other than Christ himself. If this is the standard, because the standard is perfection, and no man attains it. We've all sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if you have heard this sermon in the proper context for those who are saved by God's grace and now empowered by the Holy Spirit to live holy lives, then I don't know that there's anything more grievous than to hear the teachings and say to yourself, you know what? They are grand in their in their scope. They are wonderful to hear, but certainly Jesus does not expect me to live like this. He said in Matthew 5 verse 48, Be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he wasn't joking. You say, alright, well then maybe I'm going to hear these teachings as someone who's saved by grace. And I'm just going to do a little bit here and a little bit there. And I'm going to, I'm going to try and, and dabble a little. A quote that I read this week in a book I'm reading by D.A. Carson was so perfect for this. He said, The discipleship which Jesus requires is absolute, radical in the sense that it gets to the root of human conduct and to the root of relationships between God and man. A person either enters the kingdom or he does not. He walks the road that leads to life or he walks the road that leads to destruction. There is no third alternative. Nothing, he says, nothing at all could have more crucial significance than following Jesus. Nothing could have more crucial significance than for us to hear Jesus Christ teaching on kingdom life and kingdom citizenship and following him than actually following him. I don't know what, how, how much worse it could be if we said, oh, we get it, we understand it, but we're not going to do it. Jesus taught the sermon, he preached the sermon for us to actually live this life and become these people. And so today we get a chance to look at verse 12, which 
Some argue is the apex of the entire sermon. I don't know that I agree. That's okay. It doesn't matter. Um, It's a great verse, and we're going to look at it. It's a verse that deals with what you probably know as the golden rule. Um, And we'll deal with some of the misconceptions on that. And then we're going to look at the first of several warnings, which is the narrow gate. He, He brings the entire sermon to its right close by talking about these these contrasts, these eternal contrasts. You have the narrow gate and the broad gate, true prophets, false prophets, good trees and bad trees, those who know them compared to those who pretend to know them, the house built on the rock, the house built on the sand, and they're extreme, every single one, and he wants them to be extreme because he wants us to sense the magnitude of what he taught, the calling of the kingdom, and the calling for you to live as a kingdom citizen. So, two things today, the sermon, the, the golden rule, and the narrow gate. I want to look at it in three ways. One, the one rule that he presents, the two paths, and the one guide. The one rule, the two paths, and the one guide. So, let's look at this rule first. If you remember, back when I was preaching chapter 5, verses 17 and 20, you go, oh yes, I remember that perfectly. Yes, right? Humor me, will you? I referenced Matthew 7, verse 12, because it's called an inclusio. And essentially, Matthew 5, 17, and Matthew 7, 12, they're bookends. And they, they basically form the beginning and the end of an entire section. In Matthew cha- chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, actually, in verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he establishes all that he's going to teach about this kingdom life and this kingdom citizenship have been taught to already in the law and the prophets and will be fulfilled in him. And he does all this didactic teaching, this kingdom life teaching up to this verse, Matthew 7, 12, where he then says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And he ties it all together. And it's, it's an amazing summary verse because several people are going, there were so many things that you said. There were so many things that he said. How am I possibly going to keep all this straight? Persecute my enemies? No. Pray for my enemies. Love my enemies? No. Wait a second. Have mercy on... And, and you'll go through that. And he says, listen, I'm going to make it real simple for you. I'm going to sum up my sermon. I'm going to sum up the law. I'm going to sum up the prophets with this teaching. You do to others what you would want them to do to you. You would treat others and serve others and love others as you would want them to treat and love and serve you. And it's this incredible covering that all the pieces, and go back, study the pieces, know the pieces. But he's saying, I'm giving you an overall concept that ties all this together. The kingdom citizenship, the kingdom teaching, the law and the prophets. And here it is in one neatly packaged verse. You say, well, I've, I've heard this before. And I've even heard other religions teach this. Maybe, maybe not. You've got to be real careful what you've heard. This is one of those teachings in Christianity where people will say, Oh, you know what? That, is, has, that teaching is a common teaching to Hinduism and Buddhism and Confucianism. And you should say, No, it's not. And they'll say, Well, yes, it is. And they will take it and say, Look, there, is, there are many paths to God. And all these teachings, they, they overlap, and they'll, they'll use an ethical approach, right? But we don't have discerning ears, because Hinduism and Confucianism and Buddhism did not teach this teaching. You say, what, what? I thought they did. They didn't. They taught the negative component of this teaching. I'll be real specific here. 
Hinduism, Confucianism, and Buddhism, many of those teachings preceding what Christ said here in the Sermon on the Mount, had the teaching that went like this. Do not do anything to anyone you would not want someone doing to you. You go, those are the same. They're not the same at all. It's a negative, right? Don't do something to someone that you don't want them doing to you. In fact, Rabbi Hillel, who lived right up to the birth of Christ, right? So he was a generation or two preceding Christ. He taught this same negative golden rule. And in his words, he said, What is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow creatures. That is the whole law. And you say, are you splitting hairs here? I don't get it. Jesus Christ comes along. And it's the first time, the first time this rule had been taught in the positive. In other words, the first time we see the golden rule is in Scripture. It's from the words of Christ, where he said this. Because you, whatever you wish that others would do to you, you do to them also. The difference is huge. The negative teaching takes this form. If you don't want your brothers to hit you, don't hit them. If you don't like being verbally abused, don't verbally abuse others. If you don't like being lied to, don't lie to others. Do you see the teaching? It is not engaging in an affirmative offering manner. It is, listen... You don't want people to, to bring you pain or suffering. Just don't do it to them, right? Keep your hands off them. The positive form leads to people engaged in intimate relationships. Listen to the difference. If you enjoy being served, then serve others. If you enjoy being loved for and cared for and appreciated, then love and care for and appreciate others. If you love blessing, if you love being blessed, then bless other people. And so Jesus comes along and he takes the negative golden rule, which had been taught for a long time, even by the teachers of Israel, and he turns it around. The golden rule taught by the world religions allows for a person to go into a life of isolation and essentially says, don't make a mess of other lives because you wouldn't want people making a mess of yours. The positive golden rule that Christ brings out calls us out of isolation and into community and into blessing other people. By doing to them what you want done to you. By loving them as you want to be loved. The NIV actually, I think, does a better translation on this. It says, in everything, the word is panta. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. In other words, everything you enjoy, everything you love, everything that you like occurring to you, happening to you, you do that to others. Now imagine that. Imagine a community like that. Or a city like that. Or a country like that. You understand why Jesus says, it is the law and the prophets. If you lived in such a way that the very things that you love and enjoy and desire that are good things that you would then bless others with, how it would dramatically change us as a people. Very different than saying, don't hit your brother because you don't like being hit. Saying, go love your brother because you like being loved. Everything you enjoy and love and bless on others lays itself out in the law and the prophets. And that's where we find both the rule and the motivation. It's fantastic. I mean, the rule's simple, right? We get the rule. We teach the rule, or I hope we teach the rule, the law. But the motivation behind it, it's not utilitarian. It's not, well, if I love my wife, she'll love me back. You know, if I, if I treat you kindly, you'll treat me kindly. 
That's a very self-centered, pragmatic, utilitarian approach. That's not what the sermon's teaching at all, right? Christ wasn't teaching that. He was saying, we're going to love others for the sake of others. We're going to love others for the sake of Christ. We're going to serve others because we want to serve, because we've been made servants, because Christ served us first. And so it's not a utilitarian, it's about me. It is picturing, placing a picture of this life, this kingdom life of living for others and caring for others and serving others that aligns itself with the king himself. The king came, he fulfilled the law and the prophets. You live as the king calls you to live by his power and his strength. And guess what? You fulfill the law and the prophets. The golden rule prescribed by Jesus is a wonderful means for us to evaluate this kingdom life that we're actually living. I mean, you can go back. I encourage you to do so. Taking this summary, verse 12, do to others as you'd have them do to you, and then look at some of the particulars of the teaching. When you approach others and relate to them, are you humble or are you filled with pride? You prefer people to come to you humbly, not in pride, right? How do you go to others? Do you show mercy to others when they harm you? Or do you give them the five-knuckled response? Are you salt and light? Are you, do you refuse to murder someone in your mind? Do you seek reconciliation or are you pig-headed and stubborn? Do you uphold the sanctity of your marriage or do you devour another man's wife or another wife's husband? Do you keep your word? Do you let your yes be yes? Do you love your enemies? All of these things, you go through every single one of those is exactly how we want people treating us, right? So the question is, are you loving and treating other people as Christ prescribes here in his sermon? If the answer is no, then you're not living according to the golden rule, verse 12, and very likely not living according to, you're certainly not living according to the kingdom way, and we're going to look at that's a question of path then. And what path are you on? The kingdom citizen life before the fall was this. It was the giving and the loving and the caring for. Now, if you, you hear this again, you say, impossible. This is a narrow road. You're right on both accounts. It is impossible. In fact, the golden rule, far from being this simple, trite little thing we teach to children, is one of the most difficult teachings presented to mankind. Treat others as you want to be treated. It is absolutely impossible for you to do on your own. That's why Christ said, that's why I came. That's why I lived. That's why I died. That's why I rose again. That's why I ascended into heaven. And that's why I gave you the power of the Holy Spirit, so that I can teach you these things, and then in me you can live like this. You can become these people. Not just doing, but being. Being these people. These kingdom citizens. And you still say, it's still such a narrow road. Right on the second account too. Very narrow. And you say, very few will find that. That's exactly what Christ said. Look at, look at verse 13 and 14. He's right on here. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. This teaching in your mind's eye becomes really clear, doesn't it? I mean, 
Christ was so good about painting mental pictures for us. You have one gate. It's a narrow gate. The path is difficult. The end is life. Gate number one. You have gate number two. It's a broad gate. It's an easy path. And the end is destruction. And Christ says emphatically, go through the narrow gate, walk the difficult path, because the end is life. And he says it, he says it with great passion, because he knows. Years ago, I had a dream. Whether you call it a dream or not, I don't know what you call it. It was one of those dreams that is etched permanently in my mind and will be forever. And I, I was staring at my wife's closet, and it was a double-doored closet. And I had this picture in my... I was seeing this very large corridor, and it was, it was kind of like stainless steel. It was, it was shiny, it was clean, it was beautiful. And there were all these people that were rushing into this corridor. And the corridor went down at a pretty shallow angle. And then it made this hard right turn. And at the end of the right turn, I could see light coming from it. And people kept saying, go to the light. They're moving to the light. And I'm yelling, no. And in my dream, I'm yelling, I'm screaming, no, no, no. You're going the wrong way. Don't go that way. And, of course, the light that they saw, the proverbial light that everybody sees when they're about to die, when they die, I know it's the very flames of hell, and I'm crying out to them, stop. And there were people on that path that I knew, and no one stopped, and no one turned around. Christ is saying here, there's a broad path. Stop. He's saying emphatically, enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy, at least to destruction. And those who enter it are many. There are many. Now, I don't care where you preach this in our country. This teaching is revolting. I mean, it is. When we talk about narrowness, we, we collective culture, we look at anything that's narrow as, as wrong, as vile. As something that should be cast off. And it's something that Satan has and his dominions have been so successful in sowing a seed of deception in our culture. Just like Eve bought that lie that you surely will not die in the garden. Millions of people today have swallowed this contemporary lie that says this. Anything narrow, anything with limits, anything with boundaries, anything that is not all-inclusive and ultimately tolerant is evil. If you've been raised in public education, you know this mantra. It's been crammed down your throat. And the broad path, the wide path that includes everybody, passes no judgment, makes all moral truths relative, is not only good, it is virtuous, it is God-honoring, and you should be on it. And so they've taken, the culture's taken, it's made its way into the church, our Lord's teaching on the wide gate and the narrow gate, and turned it upside down, completely. So that the narrow gate is laughed at and ridiculed, and the broad gate is not only taught to, it's encouraged, and if you're not on it, you'll be laughed at and ridiculed. And many of you, if you've walked with Christ, you've been called what? Narrow-minded. Such a narrow thought process, such a narrow way to approach life. Jesus comes right out and he says, it's a lie. Don't buy it. They're lying to you. He said, the gate that leads to life is narrow and the way is hard and those who find it are few. Now, there's, there, there are a few 
contrast in here that I want to look at because they're, they're incredible. We have in this small teaching, we have narrow, wide, few, many, and life and destruction. Narrow and wide, few and many, and life and destruction. And they're so revealing about this path, the two paths. So let's first look at the narrow. He says, the gate is narrow that leads to life. The gate is broad that leads to destruction. The word gate in the Greek, it's stenos. And it means, this is amazing, it means to groan. It's a groaning gate. The narrow gate that leads to life causes you to groan. You think, well, why would he use a term like that? What does groaning have to do with it? We always think of just small and narrow. And that's not a wrong image. But the narrow gate is not an ignorant gate. It's not a gate that lacks information. It's not a bigoted gate like the culture tells us. It's a difficult gate. Jesus says the narrow gate's difficult and the wide gate's easy. Why? Why is following Christ so hard? Why is, why is submitting to Scripture so hard? Why is this all so hard? Virtually everything we're called to do and be as people in Christ is the exact opposite of our sin nature. In almost every capacity, everything that Christ says, be these people, live this life, love me like this, follow me like this, is the exact opposite of everything that we want to do. Everything. Even something like the golden rule which is so simple to understand, is utterly impossible to do in our sin nature, right? I mean, we want others to treat us as we'd like to be treated. But it's not a two-way street, right? I'm not so inclined to treat others. When I, when I screw up and I, and I miscommunicate to someone... And, and, I, and I, I unintentionally lead them astray. I want them to show me mercy in my, my, my mistake, right? But when someone makes that mistake with me, I want to pound the flesh. I, I want them to treat me with mercy. I want that side of the golden rule. But I'm not so inclined to treat them with mercy. When I, when I treat my wife or my children in a harsh or unloving way, I want them to forgive me when I seek I mean, I want to repent and, and seek forgiveness. But when I get that on my side, I want to hold a grudge. I want to pout for a little while. I want to, I want to you know, soak in that a little while and try to, try to get something from that, you know? Maybe a little, uh, a little money in the future, a little something against them. My golden rule would be this. This would be Keith's golden rule, not so golden. Do to me as I want you to do to me, and I will do to you as I want to do to you. That sound more accurate? You wonder why this is so hard. Because that's the sin nature golden rule. I want you to do to me what I would do to you, but I want to do to you what I want to do to you. So show me mercy, and I'll punch you in the face. Prayer. Prayer is hard. One of the hardest things we do, individually and corporately. Why? Because our sin nature would much rather be watching TV or exercising our, our texting skills than coming before a holy God and being transformed from the inside out, which causes groaning. We groan. What about reading and studying and meditating on the Bible? Hard. Why? Because when you meditate and study scripture, you have to say, well, my life, my way, my desires, my law must be subject to it. So I won't do it. Groaning. If you read the Bible and it causes you to groan, that's a good thing. 
If you go, oh, that's good. Serving other people. Why is that hard? Well, that's not difficult. Why? Because I want to be served. I don't want to serve. I want to serve myself. And if anybody's going to be serving, I want people serving me. Right? So when we serve others, it's groaning. It's hard. It's really hard. Having real, covenant, intimate, biblical relationships. You want to talk about a hard one in our culture today? I mean, we gather on Sunday morning and it's like, you know, we just scatter. Why? Why? Because our sin loves to be alone. Our sin likes to isolate. And so, uh, my sin nature does not want covenant community. My sin nature wants to hide. And if I am with people, it's only going to be with those people who condone and justify and rationalize my sin. Every aspect of true faith in Jesus is narrow. It's groaning. It's difficult. It's hard. It's hard. I I, I think it was Tolkien who said, Christianity hasn't been looked at and found lacking. It's been looked at and found difficult. And that is spot on. And, And that means something horrific. If your life's real easy all the time, if there's no groaning, if there's no straining, if all your relationships are fantastic at work and at home and at school and with your neighbors and with your family, and your fr- if everything's good and there's no groaning and there's no striving and there's no pain and there's no struggle, then you, guess what? You might have gone through the wrong gate. Because he says this narrow gate will produce groaning. It's hard. It goes against every fiber of our sin nature. But the broad gate, not so much. Why? Because the sin nature aligns with everything that's broad. second distinction he gives us is one of of population density. Did you notice that? You say, oh, are we going to lapse into a Malthusian population theory and economics here? I'm not, but it is. It's a population issue. He says what? Those who enter the wide gate are many, and those who enter the narrow gate are few, and few will find it. So it's a population issue. Now, in our culture, and, and so appropriate for this time, especially the next couple of weeks, this is terribly problematic. Because we live in a culture that says the majority is right. We teach this at a very early age, the virtue of majority rule. Right? I mean, if you were raised in this country... And you went to elementary school, this was a primary doctrine. And the belief is simple. It's this, that the majority of people making a decision, following a trend, and endorsing a particular way of life must be good because the majority agree with it, right? In that the majority process, majority rule, is in and of itself virtuous. And therefore, whatever the masses say, it must be right or good. Now, we hear that in light of this teaching, and we realize we have a serious problem. To show you how deep this goes, do you know what the a question that Immigration and National Services asks on the U.S. citizenship test? One of the questions is, what is the most important right to a U.S. citizen? Now you think, oh, all right, well that, that's the right to life. No. Life to the pursuit of happiness? No. The right to speech? No. Freedom? No. To vote? Yes. The U.S. citizenship test says your number one right is to vote. To vote. What? Where does that come from? Most of us, 
Most people don't even vote. So I'm not going to vote for the presidential election. This can't come around. But if majority rule is considered sacred and virtuous, then you can see why they would put that down, right? Because the majority is always right. The majority will make the right decision. Jesus comes along again. He says, this is a fantastic lie. Because according to Jesus, the majority of people have entered the broad gate. The majority of people are on the wrong path. And therefore, the majority opinion will be wrong. Wrong. Not righteous, but wrong. And that means that God's will, listen carefully, God's will cannot be discerned by majority opinion. Ever. If if a few people are on the right path to life and the majority are on the broad path to destruction, then the majority opinion will by default be the wrong opinion, the wrong direction, the wrong road. The undercurrent of rejection bristles and you can almost sense it. People go, "Mm -mm, what are you saying? Are you saying that Jesus is saying that more people will perish than be saved? I don't even have to say it. I will read to you Luke chapter 13. Someone else asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, listen closely. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. He said, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, we ate and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I do not know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and the gnashing of teeth. Many. On that road. The narrow gate, the narrow road, the narrow door are found, is found by a few. And that means that any attempt in your life or our life collectively to please the masses, any attempt that we make to woo people into church by, by appealing to broad public sanctioned right behavior or conduct or what is exciting is not only foolish, according to this teaching, it's wicked. And if we find about ourselves a great worldliness, a great commonality with the general population, if we look at our lives, how we work, how we relate, how our marriage goes, how we spend our money, if, if we examine our lives and it is virtually the same as everybody else, then there's great danger that you've entered through the broad gate. We ought to examine ourselves, therefore, so that we don't end up on the outside knocking and pleading, saying, Sir, open the door for us, only to hear Jesus say, I don't know you. I have a great fear that the church... The church is filled today with people who have entered through the broad gate. There was a fourth century believer by the name 
of Athanasius of Alexandria. And Athanasius served as a pastor for 45 years. 17 of those years he spent in five different exiles by five different Roman emperors. I mean, the guy was always getting kicked out and then brought back and then kicked out and then brought back and kicked out. And you know why? Because he taught scripture. One of the things that he taught faithfully was the Trinity. The belief that we we believe that there is one God with three eternally distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he held to this teaching. Why? Because the Bible teaches it. And he was, at this time, this was early to mid-fourth century, nobody was believing it. I mean, he was surrounded by theologians, friends, and family who said, give it up, okay? No one's believing it. And they went so far as to say, you need to abandon your ideas or you will be isolated from the world. And he said, then it is Anathesius against the world. And he came to be known as Anathesius Contramundum, which is Anathesius against the world. He said, fine. This is what the Bible says. This is the narrow gate. This is the narrow path. This is where I'm going. Let all men be a liar and God be true. The narrow path, even in the church, is a lonely path. You've got to know that. The gate is narrow, the path is difficult, and there are very few on it. He gives us one more distinction. One path leads to life, the other one to destruction. The wide gate, the easy way, leads to destruction. The narrow gate and the hard way leads to life. In other words, the paths themselves are not an end. They're not ends. They lead to an end, and in this case, they're ultimate ends. Life or death, heaven or hell, in the presence of God or cast out of the presence of God. And Jesus does something really interesting here, and I I had to work through this this week. He makes a radical shift in his teaching. The entire sermon, he's teaching to believers... He's saying, those who have been saved by my grace and brought into the kingdom, this is the way you live a kingdom life. The entire sermon. And now we get to this place, and and you have to check yourself hermeneutically. Is this what's happening? But it is. He changes from talking to people who will come before the mercy seat of Christ, who are saved and will receive their reward, as we looked at, to the great white throne judgment. Because now, he's talking about eternity, heaven, and hell. He's talking about life or destruction. And as you read through the rest of chapter 7, you see that it is a cataclysmic good or a cataclysmic bad. It is life or it is death. And he does this for good reason, right? We've all heard this. We've listened to it. Some of you are saying, can we go on to another topic? Can we preach another sermon? Can you go to the Old Testament, a minor prophet? We might get there. And can we get off this teaching? And Jesus is saying, Arise, O sleeper. I mean, because we, we sleep, the souls sleep. And he's saying, I want you to take everything that I've said and I want you to examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. You say, well, that's not biblical. Paul himself said, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. He says, test yourself. There, I, I don't know of a greater litmus test than to open up the Sermon on the Mount and go through it. And say, am I living this kingdom life by the power of the Holy Spirit or not? Or not? He says, test yourselves. One commentator put it like this. He said, no man in his right mind would choose to go to the gallows to be hanged because it's a smooth, pleasant way to it. 
nor refuse the offer of a palace and a throne because it's a rough, dirty way to it. Yet, he says, such absurdities as these are men guilty of in the concern of their own souls. The wide, popular, easy, majority path we use to justify the end. It's all going well for me. In fact, I don't know. I was contemplating the people that are most difficult to share the gospel with. I think the people who are doing well on the broad path are the people that are most difficult to witness to. Why? I mean, the marriage is good. The job's good. The house is good. They have lots of friends. Their kids are smart, athletic children. You know, the dog obeys. Money in the bank. The path is too smooth. It's so good, it's so easy, the person concludes this. Why would I ever change this? Because whatever I'm doing is working. And if it's working now, if there is an afterlife, which most say there isn't, if there is, it, why wouldn't it just continue? It's good now, it'll continue to be good. I'm just going to move right in the next phase. The broad path also offers lots of space, lots of room, lots of freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want, for how long as you want. It, and it agrees with our sin nature. Right? The narrow gate is hard because it goes against our sin nature. That's why there's groaning. The wide gate, the easy path, is easy because it aligns itself with our sin nature. But Jesus is saying, the path is not the end. The end is life or the end is destruction. And, there, and therefore he says, don't be so foolish to think that the, the path you're on, if it's good, will lead to a good ending. My wife and I, after our wedding ceremony, like most married couples, took a honeymoon. And we had an evening wedding, so we spent the night at the hotel where the wedding was. And the next morning, we got up as husband and wife, and we had our first breakfast together as husband and wife. And it was a glorious spring day. It was glorious out. And we got in the car, and we drove to the airport, and we had a really nice, easy flight, a 30-minute flight from San Jose International to John Wayne International. And we got to our rental car without problem, and we got into our rental car without problem, and we drove out in the desert. We went to Palm Springs for, don't ask me why. We went to Palm Springs. Yeah, we didn't know anything about anything, right? We have never been back. Uh, we went to Palm Springs. It was spring, so it was beautiful. You know, we had this beautiful hour drive in the desert. Everything was smooth. And then we get there, and this is before GPS, so I wanted to get, you know, be accurate on the exact location. So I stop at a gas station to get a few little snacks. We're road tripping at snack time, right? And to verify the location of the hotel. And I went to open my door, and I could not open my door. I mean, I could not open my driver's side door. And I pushed, and I pushed, and not wanting to be embarrassed in front of my new bride, I thought, what a wimp, push harder. I got the door open only to allow sand to pour into the car and pepper my beautiful bride's new face. I mean, it was, we were in a sandstorm for four days. We had 50, 60, 70 mile an hour winds on our honeymoon. It was an easy road getting there. But I can tell you, that destination, that honeymoon was anything but easy. I mean, we'd go outside, and, you know, my wife then, she weighed like 98 pounds. I had to strap her down with a weight, you know. She's like, there goes my wife. What happened to her? Well, she's gone. I don't know where. She's somewhere in the desert. Jesus is saying, don't be fooled. 
the easy way, the broad path does not lead to my father's house. The path home, he said, is narrow. And it's difficult. And at times it's lonely. He said, the path home, it'll be filled with joy and with grief. It'll be commingled with laughter and with tears. There'll be good times, there'll be bad times. But he says, follow me through the narrow gate on the difficult path because the end is not destruction, the end is life. He said, you'll be hated for it, you'll be persecuted for it, you'll be laughed at for it, you'll be rejected for it. He said, but remember, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. You're blessed. Why? Because you'll have life instead of destruction. Heaven instead of hell. Life with Jesus. Life with the Father. Life in the presence of God. That's the narrow path. And he said, only a few find it. Only a few find it. Which leads to our last point. Because you've got to be asking yourself, how do I know I'm one of the few? Do not think because you were born into Christianity or you attend church or that you were baptized or that you read your Bible. Don't think that any of those things mean that you're on the narrow path. Don't. It doesn't mean that you've entered through the narrow gate. It doesn't mean that the the, the direction you're heading is life and not death. You could be one of those individuals in that corridor rushing to the light. So how do you know? I mean, how do you know? How do you find? He said, find the narrow path. How do you find it? Because Christ is saying, whether we like it or not, there are two gates and only two gates. There are two paths and only two paths. And there are two ends and only two ends. The world says, there are many paths that lead to God. And Jesus said, there are many paths, but they all lead to hell. And there's only one path that leads to my Father. And that's either true or it's false. And if it's true then every single person with even a bit of wits about them is going to say, I want to know that I'm on the narrow path. I want to find that narrow path. I want to find it. The world bombards us with philosophies on life and death and the afterlife. I mean, it's just... I saw a news clip this week about Oprah and Joel Osteen together. And I thought, really, Lord, really? Together? Broad. People love it. People love it. Why do they love it? It's the broad path. It aligns itself with sin nature. It's not narrow. It doesn't create groaning. It's not difficult. And the end is destruction. You say, but how do you know? How come I shouldn't be listening to Oprah or Joel Osteen? How come I shouldn't be listening to my friends who are saying, come on, it sounds like you're in a cult. Have you ever had someone say that to you? It sounds like you're in a cult. What you're saying is so narrow. It's so limited. It's not broad. And if, you, if they're saying it in the context of the law, you say, thank God it's not. Don't listen to Joel Osteen and don't listen to Oprah. Listen to Jesus. And I'll tell you why. And I had a chance to mull on this. And I want you to mull on it. Jesus Christ is the only person who experienced both destinations. He was in hell and in heaven. He's the only one. He's the only one that knows both ends intimately. I mean, it makes him what? It makes him the perfect guide. It makes him the the one that we should absolutely listen to. And we do that. We are a culture crazed with immediate, real-time information. 
And I'm not talking military. I'm talking about the real time, in my hand, on my smart device. Get it now. When, when, I was, when I was teaching and counseling students and getting them registered for classes, this was a ways back, and it was early on of these websites like RateMyProfessor.com, and that was, they were just coming of age, and the students loved it, and it was, it was great. It was a valuable resource for me as well, helping them, right? Because you could go on. You know, if you got 99 out of 100 students saying, this professor's terrible, it's a good chance they're probably terrible, right? But... The students who would say, oh, I had Professor A and I had Professor B. They said, I've experienced both. Choose Professor B. Their information was invaluable. And my students would gravitate. And I'd say, find the students who had both instructors and then you can make a wise decision. We do this with restaurants. We do this with vacation destinations, which I talked to someone about Palm Springs. We do this about everything where we're going to stay, food we're going to eat, and yet we don't do it with eternity. We don't do it in regards to final destination. Rate my eternity dot Jesus. Only Christ would say, I know both. Enter through the narrow gate. The broad gate, the wide path is easy and least destruction. He knows. He knows. Jesus Christ, he walked the path, that perfect path. He entered through the narrow gate from his birth. He walked the hard way his whole life. And yet, he got the exact opposite. The passage for Jesus would read like this. The gate is only for Jesus. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to hell. Because he lived the perfect life and he got the opposite. And he did that. Thank you, he's right. He did that to fulfill the law and fulfill the prophecy and offer you an opportunity to set your feet on the narrow path, to enter through the narrow gate, and to have life. Right? He became the atoning sacrifice to live the life that you could not live and die the death that you did not want to die and then ascend into heaven and have the life that you'll have in him for all eternity. Jesus Christ, how did he, I mean, even, even the golden rule, he lived it perfectly, right? He did for us what he would have wanted someone to do for him had he been in our shoes, and he wasn't even in our situation, right? He's perfect. He never sinned. He wasn't under the wrath of God. We were. And yet he looked at them and said, how would they want to be loved? How would they want to be ministered to? And then he did it with his body and with his blood. He did it. The Bible also tells us something fantastic. And I realized this week, I don't meditate on this enough. He walked the perfect path, right? So Jesus Christ, his entire life was in perfect contradiction to sin. His whole life. Every word, every thought, every action in perfect contradiction to sin. And therefore, it was impossible for the destination of hell to hold him. Couldn't hold him. Couldn't keep him. Remember? I mean, Peter tells us this in Acts chapter 2. Listen. Jesus was handed over to you. He's talking to those who crucified him. By God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. 
But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about Jesus, You have made known to me the paths of life. So Jesus Christ, he lived the life, he died the death, he experienced hell, that destination, and because he lived the perfect life, God raised him, and now he's ascended into heaven, and seated at the right hand of the Father. And so he, he knew both. And he looks at us, and we all started on the broad path, every single one of us. I don't care if you have never known a day without church, you started on that path. We all blast through the broad gate and we all are on the easy path and we're all destined for destruction. Every single last one of us. But because Christ knows the magnitude of hell and he knows the glory of heaven and he's experienced both destination, he, out of his incredible love for you and for me and all those who repent and believe, he came and he said, this doesn't have to be the way. There's another way besides the broad gate. There's another way besides the easy path. It's narrow, it's difficult, it's lonely, but the end is life. And he says, go that way. Take that path. There are so many temptations from the broad path to pull us off. Daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes by the minute. It's this constant drumbeat. Get off the narrow path. Come to the broad path. Join us. I mean, when you look out with all the groaning, take all the stuff, you're groaning in this. When you look at it, people seem to be having a much better time than us. Life seemed, if you said this, I've had people, life seemed easier before I was saved. Duh. Of course it was. Why? You were on the broad path. You were succumbing to your sin nature. Of course it is. It's harder. It's harder. That constant come, 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 come join our party. I'm going to close. Listen. There will be a party. A party for you. When Christ comes again in all of his glory, when the groom comes for his bride, the church... And he ushers us into his presence forever. There will be a party the likes of which you cannot begin to imagine. Feasting. Real food. Real drink. All those who spiritualize all that, you have no real appetite. Real food. Real drink. Real table. With the lamb. And there will be singing and there will be rejoicing. For those who enter through the narrow gate. For those who stay on the difficult path. For those who repent and believe and put all their faith in Christ as they should put all their faith in Christ because he's the only one that's experienced both and he has all the experiential knowledge as King and Savior to tell us, come and sit at my table and join my party. Because it's infinitely better than that one. But if that's true, then the converse is true as well. All those who are parting now, all those who reject Jesus' calling to repent and believe and follow him, all those who have entered the broad gate, who love the broad gate, who teach the broad gate, and criticize you for being on that narrow, difficult path, All of those, 
will be like the story that Jesus told. They'll knock and the door will be closed. And God will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, wicked, you worker of iniquity. And in that state, which goes on forever and ever, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a party. Saints, are you on the narrow path? Have you entered the narrow gate? And don't just say yes. Christ is calling us to examine ourselves. Do you really know him? I mean, is he really your Lord, Savior, King, lover? Is he your everything? Have you submitted your whole life to him? Can you say that you love him with all your heart, mind, soul? Can you say that? Because if there's anything you love more, you've entered through the broad gate. If there's anything more important to you in your life, then you're on the easy path. He's talking to those who were listening. He's talking to those who gathered. This sermon is so appropriate for the church today. No one outside, no one who rejects Christ is going to say, Hey, we know you. We followed you. We loved you. Didn't we? He's talking to those who gather on Sunday morning. And he's saying, Many of you have entered the broad gate and you're ultimately fooled and the destination is hell. So stop, turn, repent, believe and follow me. You preach this sermon to a church of 500, you might cut two or 300 out. Why? Because this is hard to hear. You say that you must eat his flesh and drink his blood, and they'll say, this teaching's too difficult, and people leave. But we can either fool ourselves now, or we can be fooled for all eternity. We can live in a lie now, broad path, majority rule, easy way, good, or we can have that for all eternity. By God's grace, we will find the narrow path. By His grace and His mercy, through the cross, we will be people who have entered through the narrow gate. Me? My prayer this week was, Lord, do I know you? I mean, do I really know you? Because you can go to seminary and you can preach sermons and you can teach the Bible and still have entered through the broad gate and be totally lost. Ask yourself, with great sobriety... Do you know Christ? Do you really know Him? And by His grace and mercy, the answer will be yes. Let's pray. Father, this teaching is utterly terrifying. It's terrifying. If there are only two gates and two roads and two destinations, then I know I'm on one or the other. I pray for my brothers and sisters and I pray for myself that you would be gracious enough to put us on that narrow road. That you would lead us through the narrow gate. That when times are difficult and we are groaning, we would rejoice in knowing that we're on the right path. When we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, when we are rejected by family and friends and co-workers because of your name, we rejoice because we know we're on the narrow path. Forgive us, Lord, for wanting it easy. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing that broad gate to enter your holy church. 
I pray we, be, we would not be fooled by the lies, but we would hear your son. We would hear his voice and we'd follow him. Through the narrow gate to the exaltation in the presence of you. Give us this wisdom, I pray, so that we will see you clearly and respond correctly. In Christ's name, amen.